0: Sing better after a little afternoon nap, don't
1: you? Oh, that's great. I
0: appreciate that so much. Praise the Lord. Oh, well, thank you once again, Pastor, for the opportunity to continue to study. You know, we all have the opportunity every day to dig in and to study, and we ought to take the opportunity because I tell you, in studying for this message tonight. Uh, I I believe the Lord just gave me a little bit of insight, and and maybe it was just for me. And if it was, that's okay. And I'm just going to be excited about sharing it with you. But uh, turn with me, if you would, and we're opening our Bibles tonight to continue our exposition and our study in Mark's record of the gospel. So turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter number 8 will be our text here tonight. As you're turning there, uh, consider, if you would, that as we finished last week, chapter 7... We found in that last portion of scripture that Jesus and his disciples had gone back to the region of Decapolis. Where, after being delivered from a great number of demons. In fact, if you recall the account, he said, "Uh, my name is Legion, for we are many. Right? So, Jesus delivered the man of a great number of demons that had possessed him for many years. This man that was delivered, we saw that he did... Just exactly as Jesus told him to do. And that was to go and tell what great things the Lord hath done. And it's wonderful to see it that God has preserved his testimony in the gospel of Mark. It's Mark chapter 5 and verse 20 where the Bible says, And he, that man, departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. So, now that Jesus has returned, multitudes, once again, have come to see and to hear this tremendous teacher and healer. Now, to be honest, I don't know how much these people would have known about any kind of uh, prophecy uh, about a, a Messiah You know, this was a Gentile region. This was a region that was not nearly so religious, I suppose, as what you might expect for the Jewish nation to be. I don't even know if they knew what a Messiah was, or that they needed one. But because of the testimony of one man, they clearly wanted to know more. Now, the Bible records for us that they, the Bible says, were beyond measure astonished, saying, he hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Now, aside from that immediate physical side of his statement that we just saw Jesus demonstrate, there is also an eternal and spiritual side of it as well. Consider it for a moment, if you would, That before one receives Christ, before one receives and accepts Christ as their personal Savior, that one is effectively deaf. He is unable to hear and understand the things of God. And is certainly dumb, is certainly unable to speak and to share God with others before one knows Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse uh, 14 tells us the natural, or that's the lost or the unsaved man, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now coming back, however, to our text tonight, to this statement that closed out Mark chapter 7, it is Jesus, and Jesus alone, who will enable those who are unable to hear and to understand. And he will enable them to be able to receive the things of the Spirit of God. And, friends, if we find ourselves feeling unable to share Christ with others, remember that it is Jesus who will, how did the Bible say it, loose the tongue and enable you and me to speak of the things of God that others need most. To hear, But friends, that only works so far as we are willing and able to give ourselves to Christ and to abide with him. And that brings us to our text tonight in Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. Follow along with me. Let's read. The Bible here records, uh, tells us, In those days, the multitude, being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way. For divers of them came from far. Verse 4 says, And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to his disciples to set before them. And they did set them before the people. Verse 7 says, And they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled. And they took up of the broken meat that was left seven baskets. And they that had eaten were about four thousand and he sent them away. So as we look to this message tonight, I've titled the message, Here in the Wilderness. As we look to this message tonight, God help us to see and understand, I think, just two points. If we wanted to look at, a, at an outline, if you will. Point number one, the compassion of Christ. And then point number two, cooperation with Christ. And let's pray. Father God in heaven, as we look to your word tonight. Oh, God, there is no possible way that we as mere mortal men and women can have the full understanding. We can't understand and apply this to our own lives except that the Holy Spirit work. Oh, God, won't you open our understanding. May the Holy Spirit of God have complete control of this service tonight. Lord, may the things that are said here tonight come from you. May the things that are said, Lord, enter into our hearts and change us for the better. and. Lord, to be honest, if it's just for me, then I'm okay with that too. But I'm so thankful for your word and so thankful for the insight that you can grant us just as we need it. And Lord, may your will be accomplished here tonight. May Jesus Christ be exalted tonight and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the compassion of Christ. As our text begins, it's clear that Jesus has spent some time here in this area of Decapolis. I mean, it it even tells us. Presumably, during his time that he spent here, he has been teaching and healing and sharing God with these folks. I don't imagine that Christ would go into any place that is a Gentile nation that needs to hear about God and just vacations there and doesn't share God with them. I have to believe that he was there teaching and healing and sharing God. And I would surmise by the reference made in verse 36 of chapter 7, where we read, But the more he charged them so much, the more a great deal they published it. You'll recall that uh, he healed this man and he charged them not to publish it. But in fact, they did. They published it a great deal, the Bible says. And I would surmise that given that reference, over these days, the multitude that was gathering only grew. As they heard that this man was here. As indicated right away in verse number 1. In those days, in chapter 8 and verse 1. In those days, the multitude being very great. Now we've seen other passages. We've seen other accounts where the multitudes gathered and the multitude was great. And the multitudes gathered and the multitudes filled the house so that there was not even room to stand. We've seen those. And here it says that the multitude was very great. Why? Well, remember it was because of one man's testimony. Because the man that was delivered was so profoundly changed by Jesus Christ. He was not going to let a day go by that he didn't share how great things God hath done. So the multitude was very great. And of course, as we've already read, verse 9 concludes that there were about 4,000. We read that just a moment ago. Now, these people, I believe, were evidently so excited about hearing the news of Jesus' presence. They came, and, and even Jesus said they came from near and far. And I, I, I almost have to believe that they came without thought of how long they might be there. The man of God is here. The healer, the great teacher, the healer is here. Let's go. I need to get in touch with this man. But you see, I don't think that mattered. They just went. And the Bible says that, well, they had nothing to eat. Until finally, Jesus said to his disciples in verses 2 and 3, and we read it here again, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have been now with me three days and have nothing to eat. Um, Was that a Baptist event? Because... Uh, Baptist events, a year. no one's going for three days without eating at a Baptist event. I'm sorry, anyway. But but Jesus said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away, fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. So maybe the first question tonight is what is the compassion that Christ said? What is compassion? Can any of us define compassion? We all probably have a, Pretty fair idea about what it is. Well, according to my favorite dictionary, and probably almost all of you know what that is, but according to my favorite dictionary, that's Webster's 1828 Dictionary, by the way, the compassion is defined as a suffering with another. It's described as painful sympathy. Maybe another word is empathy. It's also defined as a sensation of sorrow Excited or stirred up by the distress and misfortune of another. You see, Jesus had compassion on this multitude. He felt the desire and the sorrow and the the, the feeling of this multitude of Gentiles. How they were seeking God so much from one man's testimony that they just came and they stayed for days without so much as a thought or a complaint that they didn't have anything to eat. But Jesus recognized. He recognized and he knew the needs of all of these in the great multitude. And he could feel their strife as well. Friends, that's exactly how Jesus knows and feels what you and I face from day to day. So when the time of need arose... The Bible says that Jesus was there, recognized, and met the need. When it was really needful, Jesus stopped what they were doing, and he met their need. It is that same compassion that moved Jesus to heal the physical infirmities of so many, and that moved Jesus to Tears when he saw Mary and others weeping at Lazarus' grave. It's that same compassion that moved Jesus. The Bible tells us in John 11:35, Jesus wept. And it goes on to say, Then said the Jews, Behold how he loved him, he had compassion. And friends, it's that same compassion and love expressed by Jesus when he entered Jerusalem prior to his crucifixion. And the Bible says he wept over the city. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have saved you. He wept out of compassion. And it's that same compassion and love shown in First John, chapter three and verse 16, where we read, "Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us." How marvelous. How marvelous it is to know that Jesus recognizes and meets our needs just exactly. When the time is right to fulfill God's purpose in our lives. So Jesus told his disciples plainly, He says, I have compassion on the multitude because they have been with me these three days and have nothing to eat. Notice that Jesus here said nothing about his own needs because he also has been there. And hasn't eaten anything. No one has eaten anything by the context that we see here. But he didn't mention anything about, you know what, I'm getting hungry. These people must also be getting hungry. Hey, go get us something to eat. You know, Jersey Mike's is right down the road. No, No, he didn't mention a thing for himself. He said, I have compassion on the multitude for they have been with me. He says nothing of his own concerns because of two things, I believe. First, Jesus himself has said, and it's recorded in John chapter 4 and verse 34. He said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus wasn't concerned for his own physical needs. He was concerned for the multitude. But he said, my meat, my sustenance is simply to do what the Father has sent me to do and to finish his work. He was so focused on doing always that which pleaseth the Father that he had no abiding concern for whether he may need to eat or feed his physical body. He relied completely on the Father for all of those needs. Second, Jesus' concern is always, and I'll underline that, Jesus' concern is always, Always directed to providing that which we truly have need of. John chapter 6, verse 37 tells us, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I shall in no wise cast out. Meaning that whatever needs we have, God, Jesus is not going to dismiss us and say, I don't have time. When the need is right, Jesus will meet our needs so this multitude they came to Christ for much healing and learning and he not only filled that need and he did not refuse the growing multitude but he would also provide the necessary sustenance as well the disciples on the other hand as we continue reading this account the disciples were not quite so convinced that they could do anything Verse 4 says, and his disciples answered him, are you kidding me? He said, from whence shall a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Now you might think, reading this, and if you've been reading through the Gospels, and you read through even just a couple of chapters ago, you might think that these disciples should have been ready to answer this call based upon the last experience with Christ when he fed 5,000 people with even less food. Why wouldn't they have just been ready to answer the call and say, okay, Lord, here's what we have. But no, look at what they said. From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? Isn't that the way we are sometimes? Hmm. Too often, in fact, we are this way, I believe. You see, they looked, or they laughed, rather, and, and sometimes I have to believe that we lack the faithfulness to God and the understanding that we want to have, but we lack it so that when Jesus calls upon us, we, we kind of balk at it. And, and we come back to this, well, I'm going to have to get some clarity and and I'm going to have to get some understanding before I can move forward. I'm going to have to just pray about this for a while. But, friend, if Jesus has laid it on your heart, why why do we balk at it? The disciples said, but you're kidding me. We can't possibly feed these, these people. The disciples only saw 4,000 people that needed to be fed. They didn't consider that God is able, no matter what, no matter where, to provide. But Jesus knew better than they did, didn't he? Jesus knew better. He said, I have compassion on the multitude. Which brings us to the second point tonight. Cooperation with Christ. Now clearly we know this account. Having read it already, and we know how Jesus once again prayed and he gave thanks for what food there was and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples to serve the masses and then did the same thing with a few small fishes. We read all of that. We know that Jesus was able to do that. And when all had eaten their fill, seven baskets of remnants were picked up and gathered. So what's the lesson? We just read about this a couple of chapters ago when he fed the 5,000. So what's different about this one? What What more could we learn? Yes, Jesus is able to do miracles. That's great. First, I believe that he's recorded a second account to reiterate to us, first of all, that God is sufficient. God is sufficient. Friends, this is not new. You know it as well as I do that God is sufficient. I believe we could all stand and relate multiple accounts in our own lives of how God is provided when we just didn't have what was necessary to meet a need that we had. Didn't the Apostle Paul, when he went to God three times said, God, take this thorn from my flesh. And what did God say? My grace is sufficient. God is sufficient. But friends, there's more to this lesson. That's exciting. There is more to this lesson than that. You see, Jesus, in this situation, similar to his previous feeding of the 5,000, did not ask about, and he did not make any mention of, of the disciples having too little of faith. Now there were other accounts that the disciples woke him up out of a dead sleep because the storm was raging and then he said, oh, where is, oh ye of little faith, but not here. He didn't mention anything about their little faith. His question was, how much do you have? Oh. Well, Well, we got a little bit. How much do you have? Well, we have seven loaves. And then, friends, notice that before anything else... He then commanded, the Bible says, in verse number 6, He commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and He took the seven loaves. So before anything happened, He commanded the people to sit down on the ground. Why? Well, I believe there are several reasons. But mostly I believe that it was a demonstration that when we are faced with a seemingly impossible situation... Our first action must be to pause, to calm ourselves, and to purposely take a position of rest before our all-sufficient God. That's the first step that we must take. If we're facing the impossible, should we get all frantic? I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have the money for this. I don't know how this is going to work out. No, the Bible indicates to us that the very first thing we ought to do is just sit down. Take a pause, take a breath, hold on. Put yourself before God and know that God is sufficient. Then, then the Bible tells us he took took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break and gave to the disciples to distribute. Now the overabiding principle, I believe, is that whatever we have... Whatever we have, note that if we submit ourselves to God's commands and give God our substance with thanksgiving, then God will make that which we have committed to Him to be sufficient, though we may never figure out how. What was his question? How much do you have? Well, we have a little bit, but that's not nearly... How much do you have? Here's what I have. If we will give God what we have and commit ourselves and that whatever it is to God, God will make that sufficient. Yes, yes. This does apply to the material things that we have. It applies to our home and our cars and our food and all of the things that we have. Yes, it applies to all of those. And it applies to the monetary things that we have as well. And yes, if I were really to dig deep, I could pull out a tithing principle out of this message. But that's not what this message is about. The message is about we're here in the wilderness. And if we give to God what we have, God will make it sufficient. Do we ever consider that this account, as we read through this, well, that's a great second account. Yeah, he fed 5,000, here he feeds 4,000, that's great, let's move on. No, but have we ever considered that this account has as much to do with how we serve God and how we witness to others as it does to what we do with the things that God has given us? Have we ever considered that? He's talking about feeding people food. But look what he said. How much do you have? In these accounts of the miraculous feeding, let me ask you this. Why is the bread always mentioned first? Have you ever thought about that? Well, that's a weird thing to say. In the first account, feeding of the 5,000, the disciples come and they said... We only have five loaves and two little fishes. The bread was mentioned first. Here, he, Jesus said, How much do you have? How many loaves have you? The bread is mentioned first. Could it be that Jesus, as the bread of life, must be the first thing we consider both in our service and in our witness? Could it be that Jesus Christ, the bread of life, is the first thing we must consider in any situation that we think is impossible to overcome? The Bible mentions the bread first. Jesus must be first. Christians, we are here in the wilderness. And if you don't believe me, go outside and ask somebody. We are here in the wilderness until Jesus calls us home. The disciples asked, from whence can a man satisfy these men? The answer is that, friends, you and I cannot satisfy anyone's needs because we are in need ourselves. We cannot satisfy an inquiry. We can't satisfy a debate. We can't satisfy an argument of anyone else ever in and of ourselves. The disciples said it plainly. From whence can a man satisfy these men? The answer is with bread. With Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can satisfy. Our response must be that it is God. But let's look at this just a minute. We're almost done. Jesus, uh, the disciples asked, From whence can a man satisfy these men? We cannot because we are in need ourselves. But what, friends, do we have? I just said a moment ago that if we will give to God what we have, that God will make it sufficient. Friends, what do you and I have that might satisfy anyone else? Do we not, as Christians, have the very bread of life living in us? Friends, we have the bread of life, we have Jesus Christ. But I don't know how to preach. I don't know how to witness. I don't know how to talk to anybody about God. Okay, what's the first thing that we must do? Sit down, pause, hold on, put yourself before an all-sufficient God and ask and pray. God, loose my tongue, open my ears, help me to share the bread of life. We have Jesus Christ. And if we will put ourselves in submission to God and thank him for the opportunities and the abilities to serve and to witness rather than balking at what God presents to us. I don't know how to be an effective witness. I can't talk to him. Have you seen that guy? He's scary. I don't want to go and talk to him. I don't want to talk to her. She's a whack job. Do we balk at the opportunities that God presents us? Well, there's not an opportunity to serve, pastor, that fits what I can do. Do you know that you, I can't do much, but there's really nothing that you have that I can really do. So, I'm just going to go home. I'll come to church. Do we balk at the opportunities that God presents before us? Maybe you don't have talent that someone else has. Maybe you don't have money that someone else has to be able to give to missions. I don't know what you God knows what you have. You know what you have. God says, Jesus said, how much do you have? If you give it to God, it will be sufficient. If we just pause before God and give thanks... And ask his blessing and ask his guidance and then take what we have, whether it's our knowledge, our experience, our talent, our ability, whatever it is. And if we start with Jesus to take one step, one bite, one piece at a time, one little step at a time, little by little, we, talk, we sing the song often, one step and we start to share and we start to witness what great things the Lord has done in us and through us and for us, then I believe that this text about feeding the 4,000 tells us that the small bits and bites. The deeper truths of God, the Bible here talks about, we have seven loaves. He commanded the people to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves. He gave thanks. He broke and gave to his disciples to set before them, and they set before the people. And then it says, and they had a few small fishes, and so he did the same thing with that. So if we start with the bread of life, we start with Jesus first. And then the deeper truths, the, the extra little meat part of the word of God will be given, and we can share that as well as God gives it. I believe this text tells us that those things, those small bits, the, the small bites of deeper truths of God will also be made available for us to share. And friends, if we commit our material things to God first, he will fill our needs as we also share his provisions with others who may have a greater need. But the truth of it is there's such a spiritual lesson here. I don't know how to do what God is presenting me to do. Yeah, you do. The instructions are right here. Stop, pause, sit down, go before God, and then just start with Jesus Christ. In the end, I believe that by doing what God has given us to do here, we'll find a surplus, baskets full of remnants to be gathered up. And to be kept for some other need. We'll find a surplus of blessings that God has poured out to us. When you start to serve, the blessings will pour in. And oh, the, the, the testimony that we can have. And give praise to God. The blessings that God will pour out to us that we never thought possible. The disciples didn't think it was possible. Or oh, were they wrong? And friends, aren't we wrong as well? Pastor, would you come?
1: Well, certainly two hymns come to mind. One is nothing is impossible with the Lord. And the other one is little as much when God is in it. How often we sing these hymns, we sing these songs, and it kind of goes zing right over our head. Great song, great words, great lyrics but somehow it doesn't apply to me. Well, yeah, it does. It does. So when you leave here tonight, you say, Lord, I may not have much, but what I do have, personally, financially, whatever, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. And Lord, you do with it and do with me what you can. And God can work miracles. Amen. (laughs) Father, we thank you for this time that we could be together in the house of the Lord tonight. Lord, we thank you for the message that we have heard, we have received from your word. Lord, well, there are many times in our lives where, where we bulk because, Lord, we don't think we have the ability or maybe we don't have the time. Lord, uh, we allow the flesh so often to dictate our, our do's and our don'ts. And so, Lord, may we as your children become so surrendered that, Lord, whatever you ask us, whatever you lay on our hearts to do, we will dispense immediately with the excuses and say, yes, Lord. You guide, you direct, and I'm going to follow. And so, Lord, you guide and direct to go about this week. Lord, may we be able to win someone to the Lord. May each and every one of us come to the house of the Lord on, on Sunday and give a testimony. He said, but it was so great because God opened the door and he allowed me to share the gospel. And we had this response. We had that response. So, Lord, you use us throughout this week. Use us for your honor. Use us for your glory. And, God, we pray that you're guiding as We go on separate ways, remembering each other. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to mention, too, about Brother Ed Hart. Brother Ed Hart, he's got four people that are going to be baptized. And he'll be using our baptismal pool because uh, faith Baptist right now, they're under our construction inside the sanctuary there. So I pray for Brother Ed. Uh, As uh, his church continues to uh, face various issues out there in the Hinesburg area, so I pray for his health uh, because I'm not sure how he's going to get up those stairs and in that pole because he struggled.